0: i <laughs> Hey guys, what's up? Uh, it is week 300. Now I know no special celebration. I'll save that for 312. Would be the six-year anniversary. Haven't missed a show. So uh, let's hop into the reviews. The first up is from 88 Films, and this is Magnificent Warriors. And this is what from the 80s, I believe. Um, I always do this In 1987. It felt very 80s, and it stars Michelle Yao, who you know I know of. Uh, she's like a badass mixed martial artist. I think I've seen one of the Yes Man movies where she's paired up with Cynthia Rothrock, and that's an amazingly fun movie. This one I had not seen, Um, but uh, yeah, so I popped this in, and it's definitely like your adventure style film. You know, they compare it to Indiana Jones, which it very much is. She even has a bullwhip. So right in the very beginning of the movie, um, there's like a drug, kind of like a a gun deal going on, and her and some other like kind of seedy, sleazy, rat-like gun smuggler are about to make a deal with this small village, and there's a huge double cross. And right within the first five minutes, you realize that anybody can die. Which is one thing that I kind of miss about a lot of like adventure and action movies is that there was kind of like a legitimate like fear or, you know, kind of danger, and although they were almost family oriented, maybe PG-13 caliber, think Indiana Jones or, or any other action films, people could die. There was stakes. It was not everything was going to be okay. You know, it wasn't so telegraphed when it wasn't going to be okay either. There were shocks and everything. So basically what happens is Michelle Yao, she uh, she's double-crossed, and she does amazing ass-whooping martial arts with the whip, and there's a lot of great wire work. People are flying all over the place. It's just a really amazing fun scene. Uh, There's a lot of like in this one, there's a lot of like jumping to buildings and shit like that. It's just like, I mean like Really amazing stunts, to be honest. So, her mission basically, she ends up getting on this mission to rescue this prince who runs a small town um, where basically there's a Japanese during World War II. So, there's Japanese people all over China and they're basically uh, in Asia taking over certain small little places. And essentially, it's like a ragtag group of people that end up forming this like f- ragtag family and they understand each other and they have to stand up to the imperial forces and everything like that. And a lot of people do the right thing. And it's just a lot of, you know, entertaining battles. It ends a big siege at the very end of the movie. I really would recommend checking it out. I was very impressed with it. I was very impressed with the martial arts, the stunt work, the the, um, the squibs, all that kind of stuff was really fun. Lots of good villains, lots of good bad guys, lots of great characters, lots of very memorable moments, especially the town square scene where everybody's tied up to a cross or not a cross, but kind of in the same vein. Uh, it looked great. It sounded great. Uh, yeah, this one does not wear out its welcome. It's got a good runtime too. A lot of times you'll pop in like an adventure movie and it'll be like two and a half, three hours long. This one goes by at like a breakneck speed. It's always action um and like they have like a good round group of characters that are all very entertaining and have their own moments to shine uh yeah, and it ends in a huge battle. What more could you want and it ends on a very you know kind of like I'd say a poignant moment to be honest. it doesn't end in your typical fashion; it ends in an intelligent kind of you know almost realistic way for how you know whimsy the movie is or whimsical the movie is, so essentially the special features are um. Wait, let me get into the... So we have the theatrical cut, including the film's original theatrical ending from a uh, brand new 2K restoration, commentary... With Frank uh, Jin, archival interview with actress Michelle Yoon, archival interview with stunt coordinator Tung Wao, um, English opening credits sequence, Hong Kong trailer stills, double-sided artwork featuring a new art by Sean Lawmore and the original poster. So yeah, this is pretty great. Uh, yeah, I would really recommend checking this one out. I didn't have that much to say about it, but I mean, like, I don't want to spoil every detail. It's very much kind of a Hong Kong, Indiana Jones uh, in, in that kind of vein, but it has a lot of guts, a lot of explosions, a lot of fun. I would really recommend checking this one out. A lot of good stunts, too. So magnificent warriors. Okay, this next one is from Radiance Films, and this is the second United States release that they've had. And this is a Woman Kills. This is a French film, and for a long time they they mentioned that this movie was thought to be lost, kind of really obscure and hard to find. So it's from 1968, and uh, I put this in, and I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't know much about it, and it it, it was really kind of unique and experimental, but also groundbreaking and really like transgressive. I would say um, it's in black and white, and it has like this narration, and it almost like told in kind of a documentary style way but it's not exactly so essentially there is a strangler or a ser- not a strangler I can't remember the serial killer's name um, but there is a serial killer going around France and murdering women um, and they initially you they think that they had caught the person and they had been executed and it was a woman that's definitely like kind of a statement in the movie i believe um and it's really kind of really awesome how this whole thing kind of unfolds but it was a woman who was doing the murders and she's been dead but the murders continue to happen and we kind of have like this uh, female police detective on the case and she starts to figure out who the killer is and there's a great reveal and there's a lot of psych like psychosis and psychological stuff going on in here definitely inspired by stuff like psycho I mean how could it not but but I think it takes that next step a little further and it reminded me of stuff like The Strangler from 1970 which came out a couple years later where we have like these kind of strange killers in this like town where there's a lot of people focusing on them and I think this one's really well done and they'll, they'll talk about the victims a lot too. They'll say so uh, and so age so and so died and then they do this whole kind of elaborate thing before you meet a lot of the victims and there's a lot more nudity than one would expect and there's just some really kind of I guess you would say experimental shots and experimental locations and the very ending I thought was was pretty brilliant to be honest how it was kind of in this rubble of the broken down city they have interviews spliced in with people of the town asking about the killer and it's just very realistic news which reminded me I know this is gonna be a weird reach but the day the other stood still when they're they're talking to all the like everyday people on the news and they just give these responses that are so matter of fact and so not much has changed and it really feels the same way here too with a woman kills where there's interviewing people and a lot of people are just I don't know I don't care a lot of people do not care but nowadays everybody seems to have an opinion about every little thing Coming from a reviewer on YouTube Hey, There we go But uh, yeah, I thought this one was pretty impressive And pretty unique And, and really downbeat and just kind of gritty And it had a lot of sense of realism to it That was really kind of unique And uh, yeah, it was also interesting to look at the psychology of the characters and There's a bunch of features on here as well um, We have a bunch of shorts from the director Ranging from like 1965 to like 1967 The short life of Montessor uh, Moussier I'm terrible with French A Crime of Love um, Sadness of the anthropophagy, and this one is super weird, super bizarre. And again, button pushing involving you know eating crap. Uh, move over Sallow, we got a new crap eating uh, movie in town. Um, and before before Sallow as well, I made sure there's other movies that involve shit eating. I don't want to go down that you know horrible you know um, dirt road. But uh, so so yeah, this one is bizarre. But there's a lot more to it. There's obviously you know mob mentality in here, and you see that in a lot of these movies. And then we have the crazy Mathieu and a season with mankind. We also have an introduction with uh, an expert on the film, and we have a um, commentary with that expert along with Cat Ellinger, and Cat Ellinger brings up the fact, is this a genre film? And they kind of like determine it is a genre film right off the bat. We also have a really nice booklet. Again, they're doing a great job with their releases, a lot of detail and everything like that. And this is, again, another movie that probably... Wouldn't get this kind of treatment normally, and it, it's one that deserves it. I mean, it's a really good film, and it's very interesting. And it, it fits in that weird time in 1968. I mean, same year as Night of Living Dead, Rosemary's Baby. Um, what was the uh, Oni Onibaba 68, or is that earlier? Or am um, I thinking Kiraniko? I mix up some of those ones. Um, my, it's one of the Japanese classics. Um, I know Goke is 1968 body snatcher from hell i believe so i mean it's got a very strange year um and it fits in a, a way ahead of its time i think in, in terms of you know just the grittiness and realism it fits right there with night of the living dead i mean not in terms of like you know groundbreaking because it was kind of a lost film but maybe if it was and got the attention it deserved or got released properly or finished properly it might it might have had a bigger impact you know because the french are the ones that gave night of living dead the love in the first place that made the americans rethink maybe we got something special here and that kind of helped but yeah a woman kills uh good release um It says 8 on the side, but it is the second one released in the States. Okay, so I got my Vinegar Syndrome package. And normally I never have time to watch them, but I was so excited. I started, uh, you know, the one from January, the big big year-end thing. Or I meant, uh, yeah, is it January? Yeah. So the big one, I was very excited to watch a bunch of them. So the first one I popped in uh, on 4K is From Beyond by Stuart Gordon 1986 starring Jeffrey Combs Barbara Crampton, Ken Forey of course Stuart Gordon's wife is also in here yeah uh, guys I I love From Beyond, it's been a long time since I watched it, you know, and it was a perfect movie to do 4K I know a lot of people are saying, but I have the old Screen Factory Blu-ray, but that's been out of print and and you maybe have the DVD or whatever and it's been on cut since DVD I believe or maybe the the Blu-ray finally was the one that put it on cut, but uh, anyway Stuart Gordon obviously, uh, infamous horror director, did a lot of uh, H.P. Lovecraft kind of put H.P. Lovecraft on the map in terms of of 80s horror films I mean obviously Lovecraft adaptations have been happening for years and he's a very prolific very important horror writer, one of the most important horror writers of all time but uh, in 1985, you know, Stuart Gordon directed Reanimator and that kind of changed the things and it also put a trajectory for Stuart Gordon to make tons of Lovecraft adaptations this was the second one that he did um, with From Beyond and this is uh, based off, I, I think, is it the original story From Beyond it's a very short story and this movie basically the first five pages uh, I mean the first like five minutes of the movie are the the, you know the story but anyways from beyond it brings back of course reunites you know Barbara Crampton and and of course you know um, Jeffrey Combs that also is produced by Brian Usna who would direct a bunch of movies himself and was his producer on Reanimator so it's got like the winning team together Dennis Paoli is back writing and I'm pretty sure that Richard Band does the score and he did the score and of course Reanimator so like this is like a lot of the same we add Ken Forey from classics like Dawn of the Dead and Devil's Reject uh, who I absolutely adore. Now it's in 4K remastered. It looks freaking fantastic. If anybody doesn't know, because the movie has these brightly lit colors, you know, pinks and purples and all these kind of weird '80s kind of style colors. It's, you know, I think this one more so than a lot of the other uh, films he did are, has been kind of a heavy inspiration for people to carry that Lovecraft colors and everything like that. You know, think *Color Out of Space* that came out recently by Richard Stanley or any of the other ones, *Call Girl of Cthulhu*. But uh, so so basically, if anybody doesn't know, know, the uh, story of From Beyond is just uh, some scientists creating this resonator that when you turn it on, there's like a different dimension or something like that where the creatures in that dimension can finally see you and you can see them. Of course, they're freaking dangerous and they cause, you know, body horror and body transformations and everything like this. And there's this Dr. Patoris who is basically, you know, Jeffrey Combs, you know, head honcho doctor that he's working for. And Patoris becomes engulfed in this and kind of starts to morph and taken away. Jeffrey Combs is accused of, you know, the murder of Patoris and he's put in in a mental institution where Barbara Crampton is a doctor is assigned a police officer so they can go back and try to recreate the experiments because there might be some truth to it because Jeffrey Combs' pineal gland, um, pineal gland or whatever you want to call it that is in his head is starting to be stimulated and growth. So they think something weird about it. Of course, they go back and do the experiment again, and chaos ensues. Dr. Pretorius comes out as this big melty monster, highly sexual energy here, which is not typical in the Lovecraft. But Stuart Gordon would say so himself. It was in the under of the Lovecraft. It wasn't. It was in the undertones, you know, or of the in, in there. It was in the in the actual. Stories underneath, you know, that kind of frustration or whatever he wants to call it, but it's very sexualized and creepy. Barbara and Jeffrey Combs kind of switch roles here, you know, because Combs was, you know, the driving force uh, as Herbert West and Reanimator. Now he's basically, you know, almost a damsel in distress. And, and they would say so much in the new documentary it's on here. There's a new, like, feature-length documentary made just for this disc, which is excellent because the old Blu-ray had a bunch of features on here as well. And there's actually three discs: you have the 4K with the movie and some commentaries and then you have the Blu-ray what has all that on there and then some more additions of special features and it has this hour and 36 minute making of which I love seeing what has interviews with everybody basically except Stuart Gordon because he's passed and um, who else has passed uh, since then uh, Carl Buchler who is a special effects artist you know he directed some of his own films including Friday the 13th part 7 and Ghoulies 3 and Nor Ghoulies Go to College if you will so I mean basically has everybody involved with it including Mark Schustrom all these special effects guys Kurtzman and they all talk about about it and then we have Ken Forey, Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, Brian Usna, uh Richard Band. So everybody. So tons and tons of people on here to talk about this movie. And it it's quite basically, you know, um extensive, and I love seeing that, especially you know, I love guys like Combs and, and Buck Crampton and Ken Forey and all these people like that to talk about it, but anyways, this is kind of the royal treatment for From Beyond and it's it's well-deserved, I mean, it's a really good film, it, it's one of Stuart Gordon's best if not his top two, you know, I mean Reanimator, Dolls, and, and From Beyond are all fantastic, I mean movies, and then we get more of his less horror stuff that's really good too, like Edmund, so I mean, and Fortress, which is one of my personal favorites, so I mean Stuart Gordon really did not disappoint Um, I, I mean, from his full moon days to you know, his, his bigger days. And, and this one is no different. I mean, I, if you have not seen From Beyond, watch it in 4K. It's definitely the way to go. The colors pop. The, the surround sound's really good. Um, it's got good sound mix and everything. And it's very Lovecraft in a lot of ways, and it's very Stuart Gordon and others. But I would really recommend checking this release out. It's got tons and tons of features. I'm not going to go over them. But that new documentary is well worth it if you have the old one. But dude, there is so much stuff on here. It is insane. It is insane, all these interviews and everything. Great movie. Great release. Been Gigacenter 4K a perfect 4K top grade Okay, this next one. Last week, I watched a a Ringo Lam movie, and I watched the special features on that disc. And they had this, like, making of about all his films, and and they went down the line. And I realized I do have another one released by Vinegar Syndrome, and it's Undeclared War from the VSA line, Video um, Vinegar Syndrome Archive. Um, So anyways, this one is called Undeclared War, like I said, and it stars Danny Lee. Who else is in here? It's got Vernon Wells, um, Olivia Hussey, a couple other familiars from Hong Kong films, but it's also got freaking... Um, geez. Uh, I know I've, I've, I'm forgetting somebody in here. Oh, yeah, this guy right here. I was that guy looks so familiar. And then I looked him up. And I was like, that is the star of Ghoulies One and Four, which cracked me up because this is 1990. He has done not done like that many movies to have him star in this like weird film. This is like American co production with Ringo Lamb. It's his first one. He'd go on to do a few with Van Damme, including Replicant in Hell and Maximum Risk, which I have seen. It's been years. But and the Replicant with Michael Rooker and, and Van Damme. But this one, so, so like, I popped this in and and it opens up in a brilliant scene. So basically what we have is some international terrorists and Olivia Hussey and Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells, of course, you know, Mad Max fame. And, of course, Commando let off some steam, Bennett. Um, so, so, of course, you know, he's chewing the scenery in here. He's a master of disguise. And he is basically, I don't remember what his end goal was, but he's in Hong Kong and he's trying to assassinate some some diplomats and whatnot. In the very beginning, um, you know, this uh, CIA agent um, and the guy from Ghoulies, I don't remember his actor name, I'm sorry, uh, basically... He, uh, he's at this like uh, baptism, and they open fire, and a bunch of chaos happens, and some people that are really close to him die. So, this puts him out on a vendetta against Vernon Wells and everything, and he's going after him. And he joins forces with Danny Lee and his partner, who's the Hong Kong cops. Danny Lee from all sorts of stuff, like, right, um, the killer, Untold Story, classic actor, director, uh, mighty peaking man. been been working in Hong Kong for years and whatnot. Um, So basically, they team up and they got to take on these international terrorists. The one thing this movie opens up with a bang, it ends with a bang. There is some downtime in the middle, I will admit, where it was a lot of like political talk and everything like that. But um, here and there, they keep you a little bit more excited. There's some humor. The action's pretty solid. And people die that you don't really expect in brutal fashion. I mean, it gets ridiculous. Some of the action is batshit insane. People completely blowing up. And it's a lot of fun. The bad guys are pretty much well-established. You see them throughout the movie. Movies. they keep them as like kind of running goons so you know who they are so when they get picked off it's pretty fun Olivia Hussey's solid in it she's not perfect in it but you know she doesn't get as much to do as I'd like her I mean she's great in stuff like psycho 4 and you know geez, um it um, the miniseries so she's a pretty solid actress she just doesn't get as much to do in here as I would like her to do you know I think she's even in the Sentinel if I'm not mistaken but on Und- undeclared war was a was a really fun watch of course there's a reporter aspect to the whole thing too that complicates everything but there's a, it's a little too talky but it still delivers on the action goods. Uh, As far as the special features are concerned, we have brand new audio commentary with film historian uh, on Arthur Sam Deacon, which you love. Business of Revolution, uh, interview with Vernon Wells, classic character actor. Undeclared score, brand new interview with composer uh, Noel Quinlan, and 12-page booklet by Arthur John Charles. So yeah, anyways, if you're a Ringo Lam fan or you like Hong Kong action, you could do a lot worse. This is a lot of fun. It's good stuff. And uh, Vernon Wells is chewing the scenery. There's a great boat chase scene at the end. So yeah, check it out. I I don't think you'll be disappointed if you know what you're getting into boy oh boy from 1988 i saw the trailer for this one i had heard of it never got to see it but when uh vinegar syndrome said they're putting it out and i saw the trailer i was like oh boy oh boy this fucking thing and the infernal rapist infernal rapist from mexico um this movie's fucking nuts. This movie, the, the trailer is crazy enough. So when I actually watched the movie, I was like, that lives up to the insanity. So right off the bat, this movie doesn't take any any downtime. So we have this guy who is basically this horrible serial murderer who has six 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 tattoo on his chest. He's getting put to death for the murder and rape of a bunch of people. And right after he's dead and put to death, I think you know, it's, you know, we have a lot of these movies right where people are put to death and they they're not done. It's not over. I think the first power fallen shocker. Um, the horseshoe all these movies uh, i guess this is the mexican equivalent to those in the late 80s so destroyer there's another one so i think i named like the slew of them so basically what happens is they put this guy to death right and um now and basically after he's dead satan or the female um, basically satan comes over and she's like this demon and she's like scantily clad and she's like listen if you agree to be my slave I will give you unlimited power, unlimited money, unlimited drugs, and all you have to do is rape every man and woman you come in contact with and leave the mark of the beast 666 So he's like, yes, yes. He immediately gets out, and within like 12 hours, the body's missing. The cops are confused. He's raping someone. And, and basically, I love how he basically seduces everyone with drugs, is like, you want to try some heroin. And he's just like a suave guy. To me, he looks like the Million Dollar Man, the Mexican version of the Million Dollar Man, uh, Ted DiBiase, if anybody watched wrestling in the 80s and 90s. And he basically goes through and he, like, gets these people hooked on drugs, ha- rapes them, and then carves 666 in there. And he keeps going back to this, like, this massage parlor, massage parlor, and, like, picking all them off. Like, And he's really, like, charming, and he has all this money, so everybody's super impressed with him. Um, but, of course, you know, his good times are not going to, uh, you know, keep on rolling because the infernal rapist, you know, he's going to get his comeuppance. But there are some really kind of crazy scenes in here. It's complete complete trash complete sleaze but it's entertaining as shit i know i shouldn't say that um a lot of rape so if that bothers you steer clear of the infernal rapist but you should know what you're getting yourself into hell look at the title in fact this movie was so like sleazy by the trailer I was like is this a Hong Kong or something but no it is definitely you know uh, a Mexican film so uh, basically um, what I thought was kind of unique was and I know this is weird to say unique in a rape film um, is that it's like satanic controlled which I thought was unique because usually these guys are just driven by a supernatural force you don't know it's never satanic or whatever What necessarily it's maybe black magic but not satanic which I thought was unique but also the fact that he, he rapes men and women in the very beginning he re- rapes this guy and he like gets them hooked on drugs and everything and I was like that's a way to start your fucking movie that you're not pulling any punches um, in, in fact it gets really wild too in the movie and it becomes like part like mausoleum where he's like using laser beams to lift cops up and throw them on spikes this movie's a blast in, in the weirdest most despicable disgusting way um, on the special features I loved the um, who is it I believe it is audio essay by author and critic Alexandra Heller Nichols uh, Nicholas, and she basically talks about, you know, it's okay to like trashy films and exploitation films and goes in a little bit more in depth all about that. There's also interviews with actors and actresses from the movie on here. Recommend if you like sleaze, you like trash, you like 80s films or Mexican horror films. This one's different than a lot of the Mexican films I've seen. There's seen a lot of the ones from like the 60s, which are like, you know, basically Santo movies or the Aztec mummy movies. But then we start getting in the 80s and stuff, they start getting really wild and weird. And I hope Vinegar Syndrome's got a bunch of them lined up because this movie was awesome in the craziest way. Okay, the next one up is another, I believe, Mexican film. Um, I, I'm pretty sure maybe it's Spanish. I don't want to make a mistake, but I'm pretty sure it's Mexican. This is from Severn Films and this is Blood Hunt, aka Night of Rage or Night of... I think it's Night of Rage. So yeah, right on the back they say the Peckinpah fl- influence is evident. It's like a hyperbolic version of The Most Dangerous Game with generous doses of 70s America rule terror films. And that is a great description of this movie. Knowing me, I'm a huge Peckinpah fan. This is 1986. Uh, this is pure like exploitation, but it's it's a really entertaining so basically we have this small rural village and this doctor moves in you're like hey that sounds like straw dogs you know intelligent person from the big city moving in this rural place and he's gonna be a fish out of water he's not really gonna mingle with the town also reminds me of stuff like um calvair right where we have that idea of somebody moving into a small town but then kind of like right away he kind of moves in here and these like bullies like throw a dead rat in his car and everybody's like these big game hunters and they're vicious. The dead rat in the car reminded me of Lamberto Bava's Blast Fighter, right? Where we have the dead deer. That part's horrible in Blast Fighter. You know, for that kind of a cheesy movie, that scene really shouldn't be in there with the deer. But and essentially, we have like a dead rat and we kind of like realize a small town is really kind of shamanistic and just kind of villainous and really shady. And he meets a couple decent people, including this young girl that he sticks up for. But uh, he starts to dig under the surface and he realizes that, you know, there's a group of people here that have a blood hunt every year. And this blood hunt is a very significance to them because something that tragic happened over this town and they just couldn't get over it. kind of put this town in shambles. But essentially it pits the doctor against like, you know, the head honchos of the town and there's a love that kind of uh, comes out of this and everything. And he's going to be involved with the blood hunt and he's got to fight for survival. So like in a lot of ways, you know, it feels like a siege movie at the end. It feels very much like Straw Dogs, but we kind of have that bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia thing here too where we have like kind of like the villa and everything, the gated community. So it does have these elements of Straw Dogs. It has the elements of the siege from 83 it has elements of Hunter's Blood. Like it has all these kind of fun, like crazy elements. Hunter's Blood is the same year, 86. So it kind of has those deed kind of feelings like that. So, I mean, it's very much like that. Um, it's really entertaining. The squibs that go off are great. The acting solid. It has these moments of sleaze. And like, but I wouldn't even say like, it's like the sleeves, kind of like, it, it proves its point how vicious these people are. There's like a scene where all the whole town is these two girls and they're like stripping make it, and like basically yelling at them and berating them. It's a really ugly ass scene and you kind of get the town's mentality and everything like that. But, you know, it, it's a really good film and, and I thought it was uh, really entertaining in a, in a kind of crazy way. Um, there is some features on here as well. I believe there's an interview with the writer and director, but I would recommend checking this one out. This is a movie that I had not heard much about. Um, I really never. I never heard of this movie before Severn put it out, But I I really enjoyed it. I think it's good exploitation fare that, you know, has a couple messages in there, too. And the flashback to what happened in the town is excellent as well. So, yeah, Blood Hunt, good stuff. Okay, this next one here is from, uh, what is it, the Black Cat label from France, and this is a 4K of a movie from 1984 called Clash. Now, this director, what is his name? His name is uh, uh, Raphael Rodolphe Depard. Um Again, French is not my strongest language. I'd have to hear that name pronounced out loud first. But this director also did a movie from 1980 called Night of Death, which is a really cool cannibal kind of film, um, which is pretty pretty solid movie. I think that most people would say that's a very underrated kind of gem from 1980. But Clash from 1984, you know, uh, this one I did not really know what to expect. I thought the trailer looked really wild, and I like the company. Puts out a lot of interesting stuff. In fact, they have a Night of Death Blu-ray, too, which I would recommend grabbing because uh, Synapse put it out on DVD, and I don't think it's ever had a Blu-ray stateside. I I would like to see it from Macabro, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome. Definitely be up their alley. But Clash, 1984. So uh, this is a strange film. It starts off as kind of like a crime caper where basically this this guy's telling this girl, you need to hold this 500, uh, half this this bill million uh franks in this place for a few days and i'll come visit you and and, and it's basically 50, uh, 50 000 million or whatever she gets like a, a nice chunk to do it for a couple days but she's madly in love with this guy she'd do it anyways so she goes there and she starts staying at this isolated place and there's a couple weird people out about homeless people and a dog and a german shepherd and all this kind of weird stuff starts to happen and pretty soon you know it feels part like people would say it's part like repulsion it's very much that kind of psychological aspects and as she tries to survive here the longer it goes on the more we kind of see like times from her childhood and her trauma and it starts to mix with the present the past and the present start to mix in this weird kind of strange way where like characters are coming in and out of the place and, and you don't know what's real what's fantasy what's dangerous and there's these mannequins all around this crazy imagery um, and the dogs in her flashbacks and we start to see like what happened to her and the person on the phone that's all she has to go to and call and, and, you know that guy and she's saying the guy keeps telling He's very proud of her. It's a strange film. It's bizarre. And as it goes on, it gets gorier and bloodier and weirder. And we have this element of like this demon. I would say almost a demon, a trauma of the demon to get over it and basically embrace your trauma, I would say, is the metaphor at the end. But um, it, it has a couple twists down here. Visually, it's it's really a good film. Um, it's well acted. It's pretty dark. And the first half an hour, you're like, what's going on? And then like an hour into the movie, an hour and like five minutes, it starts to pick up the pace. And you're like, this is definitely full blast horror. I mean, it always has a supernatural spin to it, but after that point, it becomes more like crazy and violent and just insane. And I thought it was really good. Uh, By the end of it, I thought it was good. I thought it looked good and sounded good. It does not have HDR for the 4K, but it looks pretty solid. I would uh, recommend checking it out if you can find it uh, for a decent price. I don't know what it goes for. I got it when it came out, and I was not disappointed. Clash, 1984. And to be honest, as far as the 80s horror films are concerned, 84 is not the strongest 1980s year, so Clash you know, could probably make somebody's top 10. I would recommend checking it out it's good it's unique it's different it's very french but it's uh artistic as well and has good special effects night of the De- night of death i think is a little better than clash but i think this one's worth looking into for sure i liked it weird stuff okay these next three are going to be rather brief with them so basically i'm just going to talk about the joyride films as uh, as kind of a whole together because i'm doing these on the 22 shots and we're recording that fairly soon but uh joyride one was made in 2001 it's an early film and it's made by like a director who has like i i feel like he has a lot of clout and this movie is like really well done it stars you know uh paul walker r.i.p um steve zahn and there's a pair of brothers that are going cross-country um paul walker's going to pick up his girlfriend And they decide to play this prank on this truck driver with a CB radio called Rusty Nail. Voiced by Ted Levine, of course, you know, Buffalo Bill from uh, Silence of the Lambs. He's in the Hills Have Eyes remake. He's in Heat. Uh, He's in The Mangler. Uh, Amazing voice, bulletproof, a great actor as well. So essentially, they play a prank on this guy, and it's really cruel, really awful. And it it basically involves a a very uh, attempted murder, assault, all this kind of stuff. And when Rusty Nail figures out who's done it. Um, He starts to track them down, and he's just going to play this road game, road horror uh, cat and mouse game and he's going to do all sorts of awful things and there's a couple of victims involved. This is a really well made thriller horror film, road horror film. The acting's top notch. Um, the idea is terrifying. Rusty Nail is uh, perfectly set up without ever really showing him. Not much. He's basically this super developed character by a voice and how he how he's initially uh, brought in and now he has that uncertainty about him where he's like, I never did anything like this. You genuinely feel kind of concerned and bad for him at first, but then he becomes a complete monster. But uh, it, it's a great difference between Steve Zahn and Paul Walker. Steve Zahn is like the fuck up brother, he always constantly screws up, and Paul Walker is the younger one who tries to keep his stuff together. There's a lot of chasing and, and kind of stuff. Like, I would, you know, if anybody's seen The Hitcher or anything like that, I think this is in line with that. Great movie, um, you know, and early 2000s is American horror, not too many good things going on. So, uh, Joyride is definitely, you know, a gem, uh, diamond in the rough, if you would. Uh, great stuff. So now we're going to talk about Joyride 2 made in 2008, you know, like five, six years later, um, dead ahead. So this one I think is my least favorite of the trilogy. Um, I, I don't think it's particularly that great, but we kind of basically have a group of really unlikable, annoying people. It's like they put it on on purpose and there's like one of the people's meeting up with like somebody they met online. So all four of them are kind of driving cross country again, and their car breaks down and they decide to stop at this, uh, is this the other one I'm mixing up part? No. Yeah, I'm mixing up part two and three. Possibly, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, this is part two. Essentially, they decide to stop at this house that seems isolated, abandoned. But of course, it's Rusty Nail's house, not voiced by Ted Levine this time. They steal a car and they basically start talking shit and just being ruthless and miserable pieces of crap. Of course, Rusty Nail's not going to have this. He starts to follow them and pick them off and starts to play games with them. What I didn't like in the very beginning in this movie, like we have Rusty Nail kind of established as a certain thing in the first film. Like you kind of feel like he. It's just like put himself out there for the first time ever. And now he's been hurt and he can't live with it. Now in this one, we feel like Rusty Nail has been like the serial killer before this entire thing happened. And he's like embraced it. And it just doesn't feel right for the character to be honest. So essentially what happens is Rusty Nail starts like he's killing like prostitutes and stuff like that. And he starts to play cat and mouse with them. And there's a couple of good moments that he makes these characters do things. The acting I don't think is nearly as strong as the first film. And that kind of hurts it. And it's okay overall. You know, it's very 2008, very dated the worst of the trilogy, if you ask me. Then we have Joyride 3, of course. And this time, uh, Rusty Nail is basically front and center. We see him a lot more, and he's played by Ker- uh, Ken Kurtziger, um, who is a Canadian stuntman, if I'm not mistaken. He basically played Jason in Freddy vs. Jason. Um, he's been doing stunts forever. He's a really big guy. Um, and it's funny how he gets in better shape between all the movies. Rusty Nail gets in better and better shape. This time, we have a group of, you know, like, people that are going cross-country, driving cross-country, and they're, like, on their way to a race. They have a nice, speedy car. They have a whole team to deal with it, and uh, they basically cut off Rusty Nail's truck and he gets pissed off and he decides to track them down and they do more things to him but piss him off and he starts to get angrier and he starts to pick them off this one i thought was a little better than the second one because they incorporate a lot of murders via like what a trucker would do and i love the idea of a trucker slasher or serial killer i think it's a good idea we could have had this in like chunk blower kind of deal like a tow truck guy who works in a junkyard if van bever's movie ever got completed or made um there's like a little fake trailer thing made for it It was really entertaining but uh so, so i mean like that's kind of like carrying on with that like a trucker going through and killing people with all sorts of ridiculous-ass ways. In fact, he uses his truck in the very beginning to kill a couple drug addicts, which is kind of an entertaining Saw-like scene. This one was made, I think, 2011, if I'm not mistaken, so a few years after the second one. I think it's an improvement on part two. doesn't really nearly come as close to being as good as part one, but hey, it's all right, and they kind of were kind of establishing a new slasher killer that could have continued on for uh, multiple movies, you know, Rusty Nail here, and it's like he completely abandons the great voice by the third one, and he's just saying, like, it's, like ridiculous ass things, but hey, it is what it is it's a slasher franchise at this point or or wannabe franchise, didn't quite make it to four, but hey, it is what it is, Joyride 3 okay now we have a couple new ones here first and foremost we'll do megan um yeah so megan basically i thought this was really funny because i looked at this movie and i was like this is like a a movie that's packaged as a three-star movie but it delivers way three out of five and it delivers more it's like more of a four out of five movie so it's basically you know kind of like the ai kind of horror movies or child's play remake or child's play in general right so what happens is this young girl she's pg-13 horror but don't worry i didn't i didn't even register that it would be it feels like it's violent enough for what it is i know a lot of people say there's stuff missing but i didn't really let it bother me i thought this was pretty entertaining stuff so essentially what happens is this little girl loses her family she's forced to live with her aunt who is the basically she's the actress from stuff like perfection and get out she's really good in this she's really good in those and basically her aunt works with ai she creates these elaborate toys and everything like that and she's working on this megan kind of thing which is like the super elaborate ai you know basically kind of step-in parent for kids so she pairs her daughter her, her niece up with with this Megan because you know her her niece is really broken and everything like that and she can't be there she's not good with kids she's a workaholic and essentially this Megan takes a, a very strong liking to this niece and they became bonded and a lot of people are saying you know it's it's the allegory for cell phones and that makes sense yeah you get stuck on the phones and whatnot screen time limited and essentially Megan does not like being separated from her niece and when everybody tries to do it Megan lashes out she also lashes out against everything else when she realizes that you know maybe more people are against her this is very entertaining. The Megan uh, robot looks great. You know, they kind of definitely used a, a real actress and then put CGI over the eyes. Very effective. Works really well. There's a really good dark humor in here with Megan dancing, with Megan having these great one-liners and everything like that. And it has a good moments about AI. You know, I feel like it says just as much in the movie as Ex Machina does. And I know people are getting pissed at me for that. I think Ex Machina is one of the most overrated films of all time. I think it's a well-shot, well-made like made movie with a, a very poor, mediocre script, which I mean, not mediocre, but very, very average script that people think is, you know, the gospel or something, which, you know, it doesn't, I feel like movies have said more about AI better. Like how even the Child's Play remake and this say exactly the same thing or a little bit better, you know, or Terminator, of course, and Matrix, you know, AI has been studied or Chappie or, you know, whatever it's been done and it's been done a little bit better than Ex Machina, but people think Ex Machina is this brilliant masterpiece because it's well shot. Sorry. I mean, and they think the story's the brilliant part but it's not it's it's the way it's made but i'm not trying to hate that i like the directors of the film men and everything like that and i should go on this tirade about ai oriented horror films you know because there's a bunch of them you know i mean even if we get like more time out like into the b world exploitation stuff we have like evolver remember evolver or you know death machine all sorts of stuff like that where you know we have the ai kind of story here even if you want to talk terminator robocop it's just a very interesting subgenre in you know genre film and megan is a nice little part of that and i think it's entertaining I enjoy it. You know, Short Circuit's another one that's not necessarily horror, but I think it's good. And I think it's a nice little touch on the AI and more updated version of, you know, a lot of things that we've seen before, but just done well, you know. Good stuff, Megan. Okay, and the next one, you know, I made that joke about that movie being, like, packaged as a three-star movie, but being a four-star product, and this one's packaged as, like, a five-star product, but it's more of, like, a three-and-a-half, and I, and I don't mean to be rude. This is Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, so, you know, I really liked um, Possessor. I thought it was pretty great. I love Cronenberg's father's films, you know, David Cronenberg. He's one of my favorite directors with stuff like *Rabbit*, The Fly, The Brood, great stuff. Um, Crash. So, I, I was very excited to see, you know, Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool as a follow-up to Poss- Possessor. i still need to watch antiviral so basically um anyways this stars a uh, sarsgaard and mia goth who are both really hot right now alexander sarsgaard you know the Sarsguards are great you know bill and alexander and their dead st- their dad stellar you know stella and sarsgaard, none of them do a bad job they always are, are turn out great performances they always you know do amazing jobs and they always take interesting work mia goth has been doing a great job for the last few years with stuff like it you know, she's in the Suspiria remake. She's in freaking uh, Pearl and X. So I was very excited to see these two in a movie together. I was like, very cool. So, Infinity Pool, you know, I really didn't know necessarily what it was about. But first and foremost, I would say that I don't think this story needs to be this long. I think it's a little long in the tooth. And I feel like that's a problem with a lot of new horror films. While we have Megan, which isn't that long or doesn't feel that long, Infinity Pool feels every bit of its runtime. Now, I will say it's well shot. It's well acted. The story is, is good. It's interesting. But I would say, and I would even say that the editing and the camera choices are completely unique to make the film you know, stand out and be a little unnerving or a little different. Like, there's points when they zoom in on Zarsgar's eyes during a scene and they're going back and forth in his eyes. Like, that is a strange editing choice and, and a cinematography choice that's interesting. And there's a lot of times where they do let the movie breathe. And I think that some of that, like establishing shots or just filming the locations work well. I do. And I think this is a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad movie. It's not a poor film at all but uh so we have um basically sarsgaard who's basically at this resort with a lot of other rich people and him and his wife you know basically we learn that his wife basically is you know the money maker he's a writer and he hasn't wrote a book in a very long time he meets mia goth and her kind of husband and they start to talk and they kind of hit it off and mia goth you know starts to kind of bring him in the fold of these rich people and then we have these kind of crazy reveals which i don't want to spoil that are completely bonkers and weird and we kind of feel like we have maybe a statement on you You know, of course, people would say, like, eat the rich. But we also have a statement on, basically, people say addiction as well. And I can see that as well. But we have addiction, uh, you know, basically people will bastardize anything. People's most miserable experiences will become someone's high. It will become something that people become used to or addicted to, no matter how bad it is or how fucked up it is, people will will go down that rabbit hole, right? And I do think that the message in here can be a little muddled, and I think that it's completely, uh, uh, basically not fully realized, or not committed, non-committal kind of message, but maybe I'm wrong, maybe on a second viewing it will be there. But I do think it's worth looking at, I do think it's worth watching, I do think it has a lot of, you know, performances by side actors and side characters that are interesting and almost completely insane, and I We'll watch this again. I probably will pick it up when it's released. I did prefer it over you know, Crimes of the Future, Cron- David Cronenberg's new movie. I think his son outdid him on his new movie, but that's just me. Um, Crimes of the Future just felt a little... Lackluster to me, which is unfortunate because I like almost all Cronenberg's films. Um, I don't think I dislike any of them, um, although I have my favorites. Um, this one I, I think is pretty good. I, I think it's a little disappointing because I guess I hyped myself up thinking it was going to be a 5 out of 5 and it's not quite there. Still good stuff. we Will rewatch before the end of the year. I'm glad I saw it in theaters, although... It was a long, it was a late show time, and it was a long runtime, and it was getting, I was getting a little sleepy. Sleepy Dave did enter the frame, and he, he didn't win 100%, so maybe there's like 35 seconds here. I'm like, whoa, D- days and out just, just put my ass to sleep a little bit, I must say. So hey, that's on me. That's on me. I'm old man. I'm old man. Okay, next up is the Patreon pick from Nick Mua, and he picked the 1973, I believe, uh, Amicus Pitcher and The Screaming Starts. And look at the cast here up top. Uh, we got Peter Cushing, Herbert Lom, Patrick Magney. There's also Ian Oogley and Stephanie uh, Bisham, who I'm not familiar with the last two as much, but of course I love Peter Cushing, Herbert Lom and Patrick Magney. So yeah, anyways, I love Amicus as well. And this is one I have not seen. It's also directed by Roy Ward Baker, who I absolutely adore. Roy Ward Baker did stuff like Vault of Horror, The Vampire Lovers, The Seventh, uh, The Curse of the Seventh Golden Vampires uh, for Hammer. So I mean uh, Roy Ward Baker is, is one of my favorite British directors, and it's, this one stars a few of my favorite uh, people that pop up in these movies. Herbert Lahm is absolutely one of my all-time favorite actors, and who the fuck doesn't like Peter Cushing and Patrick Regney? Everybody loves them. So this movie opens up with this great, like, kind of narration of this woman coming to, like, this old house, and it's very gothic, and she's in the stagecoach, and you see the, like, the pond that you see in every other, like, other British kind of countryside movie, and she's like, I didn't know that my nights would be filled with fear, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Already it's got this, like, great location this gothic atmosphere very very england very very 70s i'm loving it so basically she's basically marrying this guy and moving into this house and of course there's an ancient curse very gothic there too that's been put on this family and nobody wants to talk about it nobody wants to bring it up and in fact every time it is brought up or somebody tries to dig deeper people are killed and they're killed strangely by a hand that not everyone can see the hand is very invisible to most people but it is not invisible to the victims. Basically, yes, this is a killer hand movie, a crawling appendage film, if you will, in the vein of like the crawling hand or the hand or idle hands, um, which the the first two, I've not ever actually watched the hand or the crawling arm. I'm sorry, the severed arm, the severing arm and the and the, the hand uh, by Oliver Stone. I've not watched those two, but I have seen some severed limb movies, of course, you know, um, Waxwork has a severed hand crawling around. And of course, uh, Adam's Family. Uh, there's a lot of movies that have them walking severed hand that become a kind of this moving part but this one basically as the main killer is kind of crazy so like as the film goes on we learn more and more and more and uh peter cushing enters the frame as a as a kind of an expert kind of in the occult doctors and everything like that he's pretty solid in there looking mighty gaunt like you know this is around the time his wife passed away so he's not doing too well um i think the same year around the same time as Horror express which you know he basically had to be helped a lot by christopher lee in here and uh patrick magney is a doctor as well if you guys don't know patrick Magny he's in stuff like the the Mask of the Red Death uh and he's also in you know uh Tales of the Crypt which is an excellent film and of course The Clockwork Orange more wine um so yeah he's he's good in this too but the guy who steals the show is Herbert Lom Herbert Lom anytime he's in a film he steals the show he's my favorite actor from 1970 he was in 3 of my top 10 films from 1970 when we did it Count Dracula uh, Dorian Gray, uh, the secret life of the secret of Dorian Gray, count Dracula. And of course, what was the third one he was in that made my top 10? Oh, Mark of the devil. I mean, so Herbert Lom is such, so good in this. And he is basically the ancestor that we learned that cursed this family. What he did is what cursed this family. And it involves some real, real shady, disgusting shit, but he's tremendous in the flashbacks and everything like that. So this one's really solid. It's really fun. It's very kind of typical amicus film. Um, though you wish that the, the headlining names would be in the movie a little bit more. Um, um, but yeah and anyways it's a lot of you know almost I wouldn't say gaslighting but you know a lot of people don't believe that she's going crazy they don't want to believe the curse and all this kind of stuff and everyone helps out they get strangled the kills aren't amazing but right in the very beginning a hand crawling out of the painting is a nice touch to it and be like what the hell was that and then I didn't know this was the, the killer hand movie I knew there was an amicus you know it's killer hand film and everything like that but I didn't know it was this one um, I really enjoyed this one I, I thought it was pretty solid and I, I love amicus so anytime I get a chance to watch one I'll definitely be into it so as the special features are concerned we have the Haunting of uh, Oakley Court uh, Alan Bruce, uh, author of The Amicus The Friendly Face of Fear, and David Flint, author of Ten Years of Terror, Visit the Classic Horror Film Location Audio Commentary by Director Roy Ward-Baker and Actress Stephanie Beecham Audio Commentary with Star Ian Ogley Archival Audio Interview with Actor Peter Cushing by Dennis Meekly and uh, Horror Journalist Dennis Meekly How do you say his name? Meekly? I recalls the And Now the Screaming Starts featurette But this is a very entertaining, fun film I would recommend checking it out. You could do a lot worse than And the Screaming Starts uh, Yeah All right, let's get into these questions, answers, comments, and stuff like that. So we have Ken Coakley. I have a technical question. What kind of camera do you use? Also, do you alter the audio with some kind of software? Um, I have like these uh, Canon 1080s. They're just cheap little Canons. I have three of them. I use two for this. Here you go if you want to see it. I don't remember what they're called. They're pretty old. There is the model number. They're not anything fancy, but I have three of them, so it's nice, and I've grown to use them. I do use little... Um, I use Adobe, and I turn the sound up, and maybe I'll lower it a little bit here and there and everything like that. So, Mike Obey, love when a film you really like ends with a great song. It just enhances your love and enthusiasm for the film that much more. He's talking about Russell's Heart by John Parr at the end of The Running Man, which I reviewed last week. This is no game. I agree. He says, Nobody Rides for Free by Red at the end of Point Break. Brave New Love by A um alien at the end of the blob just to name a few love your content dave keep it cult. thank you very much i love that keep it cult. um there's a lot of those that end with this great song at the very end and i love it um so basically, uh, Ten Room Bizarro, did you resubscribe to the Vinegar Syndrome this year? And I said, I did. And he says, Me too, man. Me too. Been doing it for years, and it's amazing getting movies I know nothing about just to have them become new favorites. I always thought a subscription was the only way to go with Vinegar. It's like they are designed for that type of experience, not for picking and choosing, which will make you lose out on so many mysterious experiences. Agreed. Check out Ten Room Bizarro's YouTube channel. He reviews a lot of stuff. So we have Optimist Swag. Hell yeah. Glad to see some love for Candyland. It was a nice surprise to start this year. Gory and Brutal with a mean streak. I love Loved it. Uh, Burns, hi there. Is there something wrong with the children better than the children from a, a Skankland? And I think you're talking about the 2008 movie, um, which was put out by, like, uh, Ghost House. Um, I don't think so. I think the children from 2008 is kind of an underrated little gem. I think that's a great movie, and I think it's more that one's more brutal and violent and more kind of like a Night of Living Dead-style film, which is more my jam. Uh, Cinemazin, the last American version is a classic for all the reasons you mentioned. The director was very adamant on keeping it true to how it happened in real life. In his life. And the harsh ending really puts a shine onto what the real life outcome of 80s sex comedy would be. I also got the Dennis collection, but have you have to check it out, either film? Can't wait to do so. Great stuff, Dave. Thank you. The Dennis movies are pretty fun. Christopher Muller. Hey, I was like 23 for the year 2023. 20, Love your work and reviews, Dave. Rock on. Uh, Kentucky Katuckner. Whitman, Price, and Haddad. Running Man's Last Season's Winners. No last season's losers i love the running man nick moore ah marshall bell wasn't he just great nightmare on street too don't you wish you had a gym coach like him uh, licking his tongue. I always heart Swamp Thing too is a cheese fest, but I think I'll check it out soon. Somebody commented underneath that comment. I think it's funny. Uh, Del Logrant Loyalty? Yes. Who didn't want to be molested by their gym teacher? Okay, so yeah. Uh, Nick Moo's questions. As you reviewed several episodes across the season, do you think Creepshow, the TV series, does the film's justice? Also, Adrian Barbeau has guest starred multiple seasons. Did you spot her? I can't remember. I know she was in one of the first season. I remember her being in that. Um, I think it did some. Some episodes do it justice. Some don't. Some have the feel. Some don't. Some feel like twilight zone episodes some feel like uh tale, other things but for the most part overall i think that a handful of the episodes really did i think some don't but for the overall you know the most most of the episodes are pretty solid or seasons are solid as a whole though i enjoy seeing actors who are in classic horror movies early in their careers do you, do cameos and remakes or newer films by definition these cameos and bit parts are so small do you feel the same I mean, I loved seeing Ken Foree and Scott Reiniger and Tom Savini pop up in the Dawn of the Dead remake, and I thought that the way they reused um Ken Forey was brilliant. I do like seeing them pop up, but I, I don't also like watching, you know, uh, a new horror film that is really cheap and low budget, and they got like Vernon Wells or Ken Foree to pop in for two seconds and do a cameo, and basically not use them properly, and, and just use their name to get like a bunch of eyes on it. You know, that sucks. But like the Dawn of the Dead remake or stuff like that, I thought was done well. Or like the Night of the Demons remake, although I don't. Love the Night of Demons remake. Having Linnea Quigley in there was fun. I recently rewatched John Carpenter's Day Live. This film has sadly lost none of its relevance. Uh, relevance. Scary, right? Do you have any other sci-fi uh, horror films that belong in this category, and how does it make you feel knowing humanity hasn't evolved that much? I think all sci-fi horror is pretty much dead on. Like them, yeah? I feel like there's that in there, the day stood still. In fact, watch any uh, horror sci-fi from the 50s, and a lot of the effects will be dated. Um, some of the stuff will be, but the messages will always be there. So I take your pick. Take your pick of any of the classics, and uh, it'll be there. I don't think that they really lose their weight. Sci-fi horror films are very good at holding what they, you know, they get better with age and they really never change their message. It always seems there. Thanks for never ending movie tips. Uh, you're a lifeline in troubled times. Um, Ken Coakley. I'm a huge Stevie Queen fan. The Hunter was a tremendous film. This film was based on the true life exploits of Bonnie Hunter named Ralph Papa Thornton, who is a cameo in the film. Tracy Walter was a great villain. Walter reminded me of Rob Halford. He's also Jack Nicholson's best friend, which is why he was cast in Batman, but I would cast him as the after, um, but I would have cast him after the Hunter and Repo Man. Stephen Queen was supposed to play Rambo in First Blood, but he got sick. He was also the first choice to play Richard Dreyfuss' character in Close Encounters of the Third Kind as well. I also liked The Running Man, which I read in 1985 and Stephen King's Bachman book softcover. King didn't like the film, but I thought it was well done. I didn't expect to like it because Schwarzenegger was too muscle bound, but he pulled it off. I saw it theatrically as it played in the theater I was working at. Travis Lindsgum, another great show, Dave. Thanks for the entertainment. I watched this after I listened to the Sam's Lot show, and both were excellent. Your Cohen impression was killing me, and I love that J.P. was getting annoyed. I'm glad you liked. Viol- Lady Angels. Have a good week, dude. And he also said he was the one that picked by Lady Angels. I'm glad. I love that movie. Tempo Tapas. Bill Paxton was my favorite character actor when I was a kid. He was the only actor in at least one movie of the Alien, Predator, and Terminator franchises, which were my favorite monster movies. As a kid, yeah, but Lance Hendrickson also appeared in Terminator. He also appeared in Alien vs. Predator, and he also appeared in Aliens. So Then Mad Science Films. The Blumhouse film size is identical to a 2008 British horror film called The Children. It has some similarities, but I would say that The Children is better. So, Anyways, uh, let's hop into this episode we got a nice little stack. Nothing too big, but big enough. It'll get the job done. All right, let's hop into this update. First up is the only non-vinegar syndrome or vinegar syndrome partner label, and this is Programmed to Kill. So Robert Ginty is in here. Okay, this is Aquino, and I like these kind of like robot android things going on like a kill spree movie and that's i believe this is i heard of this before never saw it watched a lot of these from 1991 like we had mika droid um robo tricks what is the other two i know uh, eve of destruction and steel and lace so like a bunch of these so i like these obviously terminator takes robots revenge whatever going crazy love that kind of stuff program to kill Next up, I love this movie, 1985, Attack of the Beast Creatures. So excited it got a Blu-ray from EGFA. Man, this movie is bonkers and weird. It almost made my top 25 in 1985, but that's a very strong year, and it has some of my all-time favorites. But this movie is so weird and so bonkers, and I love that the actors are like older people, and they all take it so sincerely. It really makes the movie. This is a fun movie. This is actually a really cool movie. I know a lot of people will laugh at it, but it also does have a weird kind of like nightmare quality to it that really works then we have lost faith which is what is this this is Saturn's core this is all stars my boy Joel D Winecoop yeah that's right martial artist actor he lost his wife he lost his patience he lost his faith yeah I love I haven't ever watched this even though I'm a big Joel fan I'll definitely have to check this out but uh, this is this looks really fun uh, anyways like Saturn's core do good work very fun stuff. Um, Then we have Umbrella's uh, American debut. It's Undead, which is a crazy Australian, like early 2000s zombie film, which I remember having like a nice little fun quirky quality to it with aliens and stuff. It's been a long time. Look forward to uh, Umbrella being the new partner label of Vinegar Syndrome. This is a fun movie definitely will revisit that one when i get a chance so now we have the vinegar syndrome stuff frostbiter uh death of the windigo and i believe this is a trauma one i've never actually seen this one so uh the cover looks cool the slip cover is pretty nice but uh yeah I, I don't know how this quality is if it's gory if it's weird i really don't know much about it um yeah so hopefully it's pretty cool then we have this is very exciting. Hopefully, there's more than one volume. It says volume one, so I'm super excited. Made in Hong Kong because I love these crazy Hong Kong movies, and we're getting a lot of them on Blu-ray now. It's just amazing. And when we do years from like the late 80s, early 90s, I always make sure I watch all of them. So we have the Demons, Baby, Erotic Nightmare, and Deadly Camp. Deadly Camp is actually kind of like a remake of the Beast from 1980, which is an excellent film. And then it was remade again. Um, I can't. I think it was called uh, um, the Beast or Deadly Camp as well. Called again. So we have three titles in. here. Here. Um I'm digging this. So let's see what the inside finally looks like. So uh, Anthony Wong's in all of these. Anthony Wong is Cat 3 royalty, Hong Kong royalty, excellent actor, untold story of Bulla syndrome. Um he's just a great actor, man. He's he's wonderful and he's crazy and he does all the craziest stuff. Taxi hunter. And uh yeah, he's even in uh geez, he's in um, Hard Boil, um the John Woo film as the as the villain. So gotta love that. Let me see and get all these in here. There's like a hundred slip covers. It's like one of those Russian, like, weird like nutcracker things. Let's see. So then we have The Beast in Space, which I watched for 1980. This is the Picarama. This movie's weird. It's sleazy, it's bizarre, it's goofy. I don't I don't even know if I really like it. I think we have both cuts on here. Um hopefully we do. Or at least the XXX cut, which, yeah, the Beast in Space. Uh, bizarre movie. It was released by Severin, if I'm not mistaken. Had the old DVD. Then we have a new label from them uh, Flesh and Fantasy, which looks bizarre. It's uh, VSL. So. Don't know much about this movie, to be honest. Looks cool. Oh, good luck me saying this. Kuryuku, Beast of the Amazon, another VSL. This is their first release. Like nothing your eyes have ever seen before. This looks fun. 50 style uh, monster movie, 56. Yeah, I'm down for that. I'll watch that for sure. Universal, too. And then we have uh, VSA, and this is Ted Bundy by Matthew Bright, who directed the Freeway Films. You know, I didn't care for this when it initially came out. I didn't finish it. I'm willing to give it another shot. I like his uh, Matthew Bright's other two films, um, and, you know, this is going to have a nice Blu-ray disc, so let's check it out and see if I can get over what I didn't like about it originally, but hey, it's Ted Bundy. This is basically in the early 2000s. They had all those direct-to-DVD serial killer movies like Ed Gein, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Dahmer. Dahmer was really good. And then we have Sidekicks, of course, starring Chuck Norris, uh, who sucks. Um, I'm, I'm Sorry, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not the biggest Chuck Norris fan, and I don't know. I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid. I'm pretty sure I did see it. And this is the VSU Number five. I don't know. Like sometimes you're like wondering, like this is a weird one for me. Like I maybe I shouldn't have bought this one, but these editions are so cool and I have all of them. I'm like, why I do this to myself? This has so much in here. It's ridiculous. Like yes, we have a book. We have sidekicks. Chuck Norris, Jonathan Brandis, R.I.P. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on here. It's on fucking 4K. Jeez. It's one of those things like like you buy it and then you're like, what am I doing? Why did I buy that? And then you're like, eh it'll be fun and there'll be some cool features and it'll be the first time i get to see chuck norris in 4k so yeah anyways that is the update back to the video all right guys thank you very much for watching as always have a good one Me.